Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Abigail Tucker is the author of Mom Genes, Inside the New Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instinct. Abigail's work has been featured in the Best American Science and Nature Writing series. She is the New York Times bestselling author of The Lion in the Living Room, How House Cats Tamed Us and Took Over the World, which was named a Best Science Book of 2016 by Library Journal and Forbes and is now translated into 13 languages. A correspondent for Smithsonian Magazine, she currently lives in New Haven, Connecticut with her husband and four equally amazing children. Welcome, Abigail. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss mom genes. Thank you, Zibby. I'm so glad to be here. I always know I'm going to like enjoy an interview when the title is really funny. <laughs> Just like <laughs> love plays on words like that. So anyway, I knew this would be very interesting. <laughs> Can you please tell listeners what your book is about and also what inspired you to write it? So my book is about the science behind this transformation that will probably be familiar to a lot of your viewers, this series of changes that women go through when they become moms. And I'm not talking about gaining 70 pounds or losing your toenails or all these other things. I'm talking about the hidden changes that go on in your brain. And basically 
scientists have learned that if you take images of a mom's brain before and after she has kids, the brain looks different. And scientists are sort of trying to tease out what happens and why and what it means for us in our daily, normal, busy lives. I love that. And why did you want to start researching this? Well, I, I have four kids and I had sort of detected some interesting changes in my own self. And I kind of just thought that I hadn't been sleeping much or that I just had too much on my plate, but I had so many kind of different thoughts and feelings than I normally had. And I also noticed that the same things were happening in a lot of my friends and even just people that I encountered at the playground. I feel like being a mom involves a large amount of people watching. And so, because you're always places with your kids at the doctor's office and the line at the water slide at the baby gap. And I just observe women and wonder like, what makes you work? What makes me work? What makes us different? What makes us the same? I'm also really interested in animals. And I was curious about the commonalities between human moms and mammal moms that you see at the zoo or at the pet store, that kind of thing. Yeah. Didn't you and your mom go like watch sheep be born or something? <laughs> Isn't that like part of the <laughs> That's how you know your mom really loves you. You're like, mom, let's go and spend the whole night at a sheep barn waiting for sheep to have babies so we can see what happens. And it was actually really fun. That's something you can volunteer to do. It's at this farm called the Hickories in Ridgefield, Connecticut in the spring. They take, they're like called night watchers or something like that. And it's basically your job to sound the alarm if and when somebody goes into labor and you hang out with like 15 obese sheep for the night. It's really fun. (laughs) No ego boost, like a night with obese sheep, you know, anyway. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And after a night with four kids, it's probably, you know, a nice break. This is how, this is how we moms of four, you know, really relax. Let's get away from it all. Oh my gosh, so funny. So there were so many different aspects of this mom science sort of category that I feel like you're branding, which is so late in like the fact that it's not a full-on course in college at this point, right? Is a tragedy. It should be. Anyway, so thanks for raising awareness to this. And then there were some facts and figures you sprinkled throughout your book. For instance, according to the latest research, Moms hit mobile consumer apps starting at 5 a.m. and reportedly shop 15% faster than other people. (laughs) Here's why I love this. Because everybody's always asking, like, how do you do things quickly? Or like, how do you get stuff done? I'm like, well, I just, when you're a mom, you just like, you have to get things done quickly. Like give a busy mom something to do, blah, blah, blah. We all know this. But now it's like, there's research behind this. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about some of these like findings that just supported things that you already knew, including something like the ability to shop quickly. Exactly. So when you become a mom, you're the core of this awakening or renaissance or transformation that we talk about. Some scientists refer to it as a maternal unmasking, which I really liked because it sounded kind of festive. But at the core of it is, is this newfound awareness of and sensitivity to infant cues. And you're basically looking at your kid, your baby, monitoring their emotional state, trying to figure out how to keep it alive, that whole thing. But that newfound awareness kind of transfers to other other aspects of your life. So moms hear and see somewhat differently than other people. If you watch their brains respond in an fMRI scan or put on one of those EEG caps that look like kind of a weird netted sack that you would have onions in at the grocery (laughs) store, they can just show you stuff like 
colors or pictures of houses and your brain reacts differently, sort of more sharply in a lot of ways. And I think that you're just kind of programmed to kind of get it done in a way that maybe weren't before. That's not to say there aren't deficits, which were a little bit depressing for me as a writer reading the literature. You know, people say, is there a mommy brain? Do you really get stupider? I don't think you really get stupider, but I think your brain definitely shifts into a different mode and your attention, there's an economy of attention. You're paying attention to different stuff. And the one place where researchers do seem to agree that there's sort of a little bit of a, I don't want to use the word decay, but sort of like a fallback is in the the area of verbal recall and sort of the way that you remember words. And so that whole kind of like, I don't know if you have these moments with your mom friends where you're kind of staring at each other and just being like, blah, blah, like, what is the word that we're trying to come up with? And then you finally get it. That may be because, you know, the changes that we see in the mom brain are often in the deep down sort of ancient core of the brain, as opposed to sort of like the fancy bells and whistles that humanity has like, you know, the ability to speak. (laughs) So I literally consulted multiple neurologists years ago because I could not retrieve words. And I was like, I like it. I, of course, then this crazy thing happened to me where they found a brain tumor that turned out had been there my whole life, but they didn't know that at first. So then I had, I oh went God. off on this like whole thing. And anyway, and it, all like, ended up being, it, it became totally, it was, it was fine. Eventually they realized that it had been there since I was born and would always be there and no big deal. But obviously it was very scary when they didn't know that. <laughs> but the point is the thing that started it off is because I could not come up with words words. And like, I'm very into words and talking and reading and writing and all of that. And I would be like, what is that place where we keep the cars? You know, like, and I would be calling it a garbage can. And I'm like, I know it's not a garbage can, but I can't find the word. And I would ask all my friends like, and they're like, no, no mom brain. And I was like, no, no, this is too much. This like that, that, I cannot speak. So reading your book, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And then eventually the doctors were like, it's just mom brain, whatever that is. And I was like, this is so unsatisfying to me. So, exactly. <laughs> how long, how long does mom brain last? Like, when do you think it goes away? Because some days I don't feel like it's really gone. Right. Does it ever grow back? Yeah. Does it grow? Well, back? these. <laughs> These studies that they've done where they do the before and after pregnancy brain pictures show that the changes last for two years. And I was like, okay, two years, I can handle that. And then I kind of looked a little closer at the papers and it was like, two years was the last time they checked. Mm -hmm. So the changes may last forever. There's an interesting literature on moms and Alzheimer's disease. And they're kind of trying to study whether having kids and having certain numbers of kids is protective against Alzheimer's disease. I saw that. Didn't you that there were like four, if you have four, three or more kids, you're, you have some protection against dementia or something. That is, so there is a back and forth about this. There's a relationship that scientists are trying to unpack. And that was sort of a big recent study that showed that if you had a lot of kids and it's also not just kids, it's also just, it's also pregnancies. Like if you have a miscarriage that may also be protective in some way. And scientists are trying to piece together why that is. And this relationship between like, well, if we're forgetting words now, can things really get better when we're 85? But it may, it may get better. And I I think that's like a fascinating area. The whole area, the whole field of research, another interesting factor is the study of fetal microchimerism, which is when the baby, (laughs) your children's cells cross the placenta into your bloodstream. And some of them end up integrating with your tissue and your heart or your lungs, your thyroid or your brain, you know, and they stay there forever. And they 
they become part of your body. And scientists don't really know what they're doing there, if they're working for us or against us, if they might be protecting us from things like Alzheimer's disease. And I just think that if men discovered, you know, one day that their bodies were being patrolled by the cells of their children, we would have like 9,000 labs that were like, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Instead, we have just like two or three labs. I mean, there might be more than two or three, but a handful of labs that are trying to get to the bottom of this question and figuring out what do these cells do? Why are they there? How can we use them? What does it mean? And so I I was fascinated by all those questions. I was literally, I read part of this in the car and I was reading this part to my husband and I was like, wait, listen to this. And then I would like keep going and I'm like, oh my gosh, listen to this part. And finally he was like, could we stop talking about this? (laughs) He's like, what about me? Because also you reported that in that the baby, which becomes like, you know, a middle-aged woman, you still have the cells perhaps of your mother, even after she's passed away, because it works both ways. Tell me more about that. So I don't know as much about that, but there have been interesting, there was one interesting study maybe five or six years ago that showed that the cells of your mom, so, so my mom's cells are in my body, that they may have some say to to use a colloquial word in which embryos I have make it to gestation that the mom may be sort of screening for sexual partners that are similar to her and that sounds like <laughs> too close to the real truth you know what I mean like of course that's what your mom is doing and so that again like that is an even farther out field the fact that our bodies are have our moms present in them we also have if you've had multiple kids you know, those kids are all in there. Maybe they have different agendas, who knows? And then this idea that, you know, if you've had a miscarriage or something like that, that child may be inside of you rebuilding part of your liver if you have liver disease. It's just so cuckoo. It's literally like a science fiction movie. It is. I kept being like, are you sure? And of course I'm reading all this literature about mommy brain and I'm like, is this a, you know, a waking dream? But no, it's, it's real. And these scientists, who study this stuff are just so fascinating. There's people at Mount Sinai in New York who are trying to figure out how we might be able to use these fetal cells that help rebuild, that might have a regenerative effect in maternal hearts, if we might be able to harvest these somehow and use them to help other people with heart problems. But it's just like, there's so much potential here. And I think it's just a field that everybody should be kind of tuned into. Oh my gosh. I'm on the board of Mount Sinai actually. And now well. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I like, we're getting all these presentations at our board meetings that are like, whatever. And this, I'm like, why is this not a topic at our board meeting? Like, come let this guy come in and present or whoever's. Exactly. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I'll be making a phone call after this. Let's see. What happens. <laughs> Let's get them. I'm kidding. I'm like so unimportant. Um, like massive board of like 80 people or whatever. Anyway, no, I just, you know, when I was growing up, my mother would always tell me about death, which I like obsessed over, right? (laughs) She was like, you know, you always live on in the hearts and minds of other people. And now reading this book, like you actually do. Like it's not just a nice phrase, like your cells live on. It's, it's just, it's, I don't know. It gives me the chills. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. No, it's, it's so fascinating. And there's comfort in it. And then there's also kind of wonder in it. Like we just don't understand this. And so... And it's something that I think we will understand more, but I have to say that a lot of the people who are studying this are women and moms. And that was one of the cool things about the book, getting to, you know, when you write about science, it is still a male dominated field. And so I loved in the book, getting to talk to all these young mothers who study mothering in monkeys, mothering in mice, mothering in people. Some of them were pregnant at the time and it was just so refreshing. And I loved knowing that they were kind of like, you know, walking the walk too, you know, it's not like just studying these things in a test tube. They were going home. They were, you know, fighting to have this research time. They had two toddlers at home. And so it just, I just love that part. Wow. So like, where do we go from here with all of this information? Like, I'm so excited to know. (laughs) And And I feel like finally, you know, understood about the way my brain is working, but like, maybe there's now something more I can do armed with this knowledge. Like what's our to-do list now that we know? So one of the things that I thought was so interesting, especially in light of the pandemic, was the way that moms, we are so kind of programmed to care for our kids and to carry on and you know to obey this instinct that arises in us that's new to us. But we are really at the same time sort of susceptible to environmental influences and things like stress. You know, we think of stress as being like, oh, I had a stressful day. It was hard. Scientists who study things like rat moms and monkey moms have seen how stress can actually kind of degrade the maternal brain or stunt its its growth. Basically, if you have women under stress, stress, enough stress, it can be really, really bad despite the power of this instinct. And I just think there's so many lessons that we can take from other countries about how we can safeguard the mental health of mothers and do things like provide better prenatal care, things like paid maternity and actually paid paternity leave, surprisingly, for things that we can push for. And even the way women are treated in hospitals, like I learned a little bit about 
hospitals that they have in Israel and about how, you know, they set these certain fancy maternity hospitals, you can have down pillows there and you get so much extra help and there's like fancy toiletries and all these things. It's sort of like, well, who cares? You had your baby, but actually, no, these are signals and cues from the environment that mean that people care about you on a personal level, you know, women are super, new moms are super receptive to social signals and anything that you can do for a new mother in your own life. If it's, you know, call her, email her, check in, don't make her one dinner, make her five dinners, you know, let her know that she's cared for and her baby's cared for because these things actually can impact the development of her brain. And that's something that I sort of told myself again and again, that these little gestures, they're not just being polite or like, you know, good manners when you show, if you buy a gift for a new mother or make sure that she has diapers if her husband has to go away from a, for a business trip, these are actually sort of like psychological selves that we can give to each other until the government catches up with us. (laughs) (laughs) I was just at a bookstore the other day. I found these like adorable little socks for babies, you know, like that have little library cards. And I was like, I'm just going to like send these to a couple of moms I know who just had babies. And I I was like, you know, I'm like, why not? Like how much, it's not like they're expensive. It will probably make someone's day. I would have loved to get something like that when I was like in the thick of it, covered in vomit and everything from being a new mom. (laughs) They'll remember it forever. You know, I mean, it's, that's the kind of stuff, like when you're in the trenches, just remembering that people out there actually care and that you have a social network. These are things that can even help protect women against postpartum depression. It's just like, we are social animals and our world, we are constantly drinking in signals from the world. And as women, we can influence those signals and build each other up, I think. And you gave us justification for watching HGTV, which yeah. I love, <laughs> which is like my guilty pleasure. And I'm like, aha, there's a biological reason why this yes. is my like, you know, end of the day pleasure. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. I, I am so with you on that. And sometimes I'm like, is this why I can't remember any words? Is it because I watched, you know, love it or listen again? Yeah. But, <laughs> and I think knowing that that's, that that kind of stuff is okay. I think, you know, anything you can do to, to take the stress out a little bit at the end of the day is helpful to you and to your whole family. And that goes for, you know, when I say women should help each other, there is really interesting research on things like how paternity leave can result in a drop in the amount of anti-anxiety medications that new moms fill because dads are, you know, the book talks a little bit about the differences between dads and moms. And I think that there are differences, but I think it's also kind of established fact that dads can make a huge difference in the in, in helping their partners develop into, into moms and to kind of help control the environment in which they, they become moms. And so I, I just, I just think anything that we can do to our, in our homes and in our broader worlds to help is just like time well spent and money well spent. I should not admit this per your comment on anti-anxiety medication, (laughs) but I literally brought my like prescription thing of anti-anxiety medicine into the C-section room because I hadn't been taking it while I was pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> and like, I didn't even wait till I got to like the cooling off there, whatever the next room is. I was on the table, like popping it in. With like me. who needs champagne? Yeah, I Who's wish they could have put it in my bloodstream. They should really do that instead. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I actually forgot that even happened until right the second, but uh, anyway. 
So what are you working on now? I know this just is coming out, but like, where are you going from here? Are you uncovering other secrets? Are you delving deeper into this science? Like what's your, what's your next step? So first on the list is I'm going to take the summer and actually hang out with my kids. There was a little bit of irony because I would be like, you know, I have to go up into the attic kids and write this book about the maternal instinct. You know, like I, I definitely in the course of my writing process, cause I had to just try to carve out time every day. I definitely did a fair bit of kid ignoring. So I need to spend the summer kind of hanging out with them, but I am generally just super interested in how you can use sort of high science to understand the stuff that goes on in our own lives. My, my last book was about how house cats took over the world. Like basically the story of this, this, pet that we have and really has no business being in our homes and does nothing good for us. But, you know, how did this happen? And so I I anticipate a new book about that explores another aspect of our domestic existence and how we can use concepts from biology and sort of the cool stuff in the labs that are in all of our cities, but nobody knows about to understand our present predicament as, you know, moms and also just kind of like as humans. So you you don't know what it's going to be or you don't want to talk about it? I don't, I honestly don't know. I have some ideas. I'm really interested in, you know, the way that women interact with each other and not just with our, our kids. So I, I might, it might be related to that. Interesting. Maybe something with food. <laughs> yes. Right. Honestly. Yes. And then you, could, things. then you could explain away the, the food network watching. Yes. Which <laughs> another mindless pleasure. Yeah, exactly. It, it'll all have a reason, you know? Yes. Yeah, if yeah, this yeah. all makes us all according to our plan. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so what advice do you have to aspiring authors? Oh gosh. Well, I just say, you know, I think the most important thing is just to write about something that you love and that you are genuinely interested in and that you're in some way living. I think that the most successful science writing in particular has a personal dimension and you have to really kind of feel like you've got some skin in the game basically. And like you, the the research that you're, you're learning about isn't just kind of objectively interesting, but it actually matters to you and the people that you love. So that's what I'd say. And then the other thing is, is that if you're a, a writing mom, there is a certain amount of ruthlessness involved. Like you must write every day. I don't have a five day work week. I have a, you know, abbreviated work day, basically seven days a week. And so that's how I can squeeze in the time. And so I I guess I just say that, you know, you have to kind of make that claim for yourself because otherwise, you know, you're just going to get kind of sucked into the vortex of what's going on every day. And you need, like, I'd say you can get a lot done in two hours. (laughs) Yeah. I did something yesterday and I was like, wow, it only took me three hours to do blah, 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 blah. And my husband's like, that's because the kids aren't here today. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It it took me months to just sit down for those three hours. But once I had them, I could do it. (laughs) You can do anything in three hours. And actually, I mean, I feel like back when I used to go into the office, I basically worked for three hours. Like I did a lot of other stuff. I chatted, I, you know, I got lunch, all this stuff. But I feel like if you can pour your, your, your best brain into something for two hours, like most days a week, then you're good. Well, I feel like in your spare time, you should try to make the science of the mom brain into a much bigger movement and thing. I mean, I think this should be something where like people are donating money and, and, and hospitals and science, like schools, universities. I feel like people 
we need to like elevate this as a topic. I mean, it's so hugely important and mis- and like not adequately represented. So you should be in charge of like whatever foundation that is. <laughs> run it and fundraise and make it a whole big thing. Let me call my babysitter. Okay. But actually, now that you mentioned that, Zibby, one important thing is that like I happen to live in a neighborhood near Yale University and my neighborhood has all these little signs up looking for moms to donate their brains to experiments. And I did that. I volunteered for these researchers getting moms to carve out a little bit of time from their lives to do these you know, perfectly safe, love, actually super interesting experiments is a big challenge. And so I think, especially if you live in a place like New York, or if you live, you know, really anywhere where there's a research university, it's not a bad idea to figure out if there is a lab that's studying human moms, because you just go in and, you know, chat and put on, you know, a funny brain, a cap that's reading the electrical signals on your scalp and look at baby pictures. And it really can change, you know, it can, it saves these researchers time and energy because they mostly have to do a lot of recruiting by going to like baby yoga classes and putting up all these flyers when they could be using that energy to actually push the science forward. So we can help them with that. We can show up. I love that. We were driving from Massachusetts back to New York and I was like, let's just stop at Sally's and pick up a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we like hauled it in. Flung into New Haven, grabbed the pizza, put it on our laps, got back on 95 and kept going. So anyway. Detour. Oh uh-huh. my gosh, you got to do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it was so nice chatting with you. I find your research absolutely fascinating and so important. And I feel like it's just the beginning and it's very exciting. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. My pleasure. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Zimmy. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.